Jesus appears to contradict himself here. First he says, fear no one. But then just a little bit later he says, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in Gehenna. So which is it? Do we fear no one or do we fear this one who can destroy both soul and body? So I'm going to try to unpack this. And as a forewarning, this might be a little bit of a longer homily. But I think we can handle it, right? We drove two hours at least to be here. So maybe if I go a little bit longer, you'll forgive me. But I'll keep it, you know, less than three hours, I promise. Less than 20 minutes, let's say. Here's a a passage from Father Wilfred Stinnison that I think helps us to enter into this mystery. How can you know that you are living in God's will? This is the sign. If you are troubled about anything, that means you are not completely abandoned to God's will. The one who lives according to God's will is not troubled about anything. If he or she needs something, he surrenders it and even himself to the Lord. He places it in his hands. If he does not get what he needs, he remains calm, as though he had received it. He is not afraid, whatever happens, for he knows that it is God's will. When he is afflicted with illness, he thinks, I need this sickness. Otherwise, God would not have sent it. He thus perseveres peace. He thus preserves peace in body and soul. So to Jesus' first command, fear no one or no thing, this may give us a clue. If we're fully surrendered to God's will, then we don't have anything to fear on this earth. Because everything that comes to us, we can receive as God's will, as actually what is absolute best for us. Even our suffering, even our crosses, this becomes what's best for us. And we receive the crosses that the Lord gives us as gifts. Now, how can that be? Why would suffering, why would a cross be a good part of God's plan? And this is because when we accept the cross from God, we expand our ability to love. We become a little holier, a little more saintly, a little more capable of love, to love others and to love God. And this is the most important thing of all. So even the cross becomes a gift. One theologian put it like this. He said, surely just because we're following the Prince of Peace doesn't mean that we have peace on earth all the time externally. In fact, we know that as disciples, we're going to be laughed at and mocked and criticized and reproached. And we know we've seen the things going on in Los Angeles over the last couple of weeks with the, with the Dodgers. But Jesus says, all the hairs of your head are counted. You are worth more than many sparrows. This means that nothing happens to us that is not part of God's ultimate loving plan for our lives. Okay, so this is perhaps where Jesus is coming from when he, where he, says, when he says, fear no one. Fear nothing. Because even the cross is part of God's plan for us, for our salvation. But then he said, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body. What's that about? Well, who is that? Who is the one that can destroy both soul and body? First one that comes to mind is Satan, the enemy, the devil. But is that true? Can the devil destroy our souls? 
It requires our consent. We have to say yes to him and sin. That's when we harm ourselves. That's when we harm our souls. That's when we destroy our souls. The only one to fear is ourselves, is our own sins. Here's how an ancient novena to the Holy Spirit put it. The only, only one thing is important, eternal salvation. Only one thing, therefore, is to be feared, sin. And not other people's sins, right? That's sometimes a, a temptation to think, oh, they're sinning so much and they're causing harm to me. Therefore, I need to fear their sins and try to correct their sins so that my life is better. No, not other people's sins. My sins. That's the only thing I need to be afraid of. That's the only thing that can jeopardize my my salvation. Now, this is true for all of us in every situation, but it's also relevant for those of you that are parents, that are raising children. You don't need to be afraid of your kids' sins either, your children's sins. Their sins don't impact your salvation, only your own. Now, I know why you get concerned about your children's sins, of course. You want them to be saved, and and if they're sinning, perhaps you think, well, maybe I'm not doing a good job in raising them, so maybe their sins are a reflection of my own. But here's the spiritual paradox, if you will. The more afraid you become of your own sins, as opposed to focusing on theirs, and the more you surrender to the Lord to allow Him to sanctify you, the more saintly you become, you, the parents. And therefore, the more available to love, the more able to love you become. And the more you love your children, the more open to their instructions, the more open to your instructions, I mean, they will become. The more you love them, the more open to your instructions they'll become. And perhaps the less they'll they'll sin. So even if you want really to uproot the sins of your children's lives, which is a good desire, it's still the case that by focusing on your own sins and surrendering your sins to the Lord, this is the best thing that you can do as a parent. All right, I digress. I've been a father for two weeks. What do I know about parenting? <laughs> Let me give two images to try to, going back, going back to this conflict or this apparent contradiction between fearing no one and fearing only our own sins, which is the only thing that can destroy our body and our soul. So two images, one a quick one from my ordination there, there was an MC, an assistant MC, Father Mark Woolencott, a friend of mine. He would come over to where I was sitting, and then he would guide me to where I was supposed to go. And we had rehearsals the day before, but he was doing this as, as, as reminders. And he would often whisper something under his breath. He would say, remember to bow when you get to your spot. But when it came time to go up the steps for the bishop to lay his hands on my head and to ordain me to begin the ordination process, Father Woolencott asked, are you ready? Cheekly, you know, under his breath. Are you ready? Nobody saw that he was doing this or heard him saying anything. And immediately when he asked me that, my immediate sarcastic answer right back to him was no. And I walked out of my pew and walked out and up the steps. No, I'm not ready. And I went forward to get ordained. 
But you know, the more that I've reflected on that, the more I've realized there's something, there was something deeper at play there. Because of course I wasn't ready. Who can be ready to be ordained a priest of Jesus Christ? To really say those promises and mean them. You know, the last promise I don't have written down here, but it's something along the lines of, do you resolve to offer yourself every day and unite your offering, your self-offering to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for the salvation of all? Who's ready to do that, to say yes to that? But that's the key. That's the thing. That's the part of this whole mystery. It's not about being ready. If it were, I, would, I and everyone, everyone else considering the priesthood would perpetually live in fear and in self-doubt, always wondering, am I ready? Am I worthy? Am I called? It's not about being ready. It's about being willing. It's about saying yes. And that's the response. That's the answer to that question is, yes, I do resolve. I do resolve with the help of God. That's what I said to the bishop when he asked me that question. That's what's in the ordination right. Not I'm ready, but yes, I do with the help of God. In ordination, as we know, the sacraments, what are the sacraments? They're an external manifestation of an interior reality. So, okay, so I'm there in the sacrament of holy orders, but this is true for every one of us. This is true for every Christian. This deeper reality. It's not about being ready to go into a deeper relationship with the Lord. It's about being willing. It's about saying, yes, I do resolve with the help of God to take a further step in. It's not... Do you have the degree? Have you read all the books? Have you uprooted your sins? Have you perfected yourself? It's not any of these things. It's, are you willing? And if we say yes, with the help of God, God gives himself to us ever more fully. God develops our relationship with him. You know, a lot of people ask me to pray for them, and I'm happy to do so. But sometimes I have this sense like they're asking me because they don't think that the Lord hears their prayers. And of course, these things are mutually exclusive. They can pray for them. They can ask the Lord for particular things. And I can ask the Lord for those things for them. But whenever there's this fear within us that the Lord doesn't want to relate to me in this deeper way, this special, intimate, personal relationship is reserved for the priests and the religious and the saints. This is the enemy gets into our, getting into us, getting into our relationship and preventing us from going further. See, the fear of being rejected by the Lord prevents us from going deeper. And that's all that it is. It's fear. And the Lord wants to cast it away. Fear no one. Here's the last image. I have to throw in a movie. The Truman Show. How can the Truman Show possibly be related to the spiritual life, you may be asking. Have, have some of you seen the Truman Show? Yeah, okay, a few, a few nods. So it's about this insurance salesman named Truman Burbank, played by Jim Carrey. And the movie's from 1998. And so I'm going to spoil it, but I don't feel bad. The movie's been out for 25 years. You've had your chance to watch it. Truman Burbank is going about his life, living a regular life, waking up in the morning, saying hi to his neighbors, going to work, paying his taxes, all the rest. But we find out very quickly that all of it is fake. It's all a television show. They're literally in a TV set, in a huge dome that has been built. 
And everyone around him is in on it. Everyone knows. Everybody is an actor. Everybody's just pretending to interact with him. He's the only one that doesn't know. He's the only one that just thinks he's living his regular life. And every morning he gets up and he says hi to his neighbors. And when he's going off, he says, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. And he goes off to work. That's kind of, it becomes his tagline. Now, whenever somebody tries to warn him or tries to wake him up to this reality, which happens a couple of times in the movie, there's this, this woman named Sylvia who tries to help him. His dad, who was killed, his dad who raised him, but then the show uh, killed off his character. And then he, the actor came up, came back, came back later on trying to reveal the truth to him. And then he was pulled off again. So whenever somebody tries to wake him up to the truth, they're, they're picked off. And you may, you may notice that this is not a, an original plot. There are lots of movies like this. The Matrix and The Giver and even the Jerry Maguire. All these movies have the same plot. And it's all, they're all echoes of a, an ancient story by Plato. Plato's Cave. They're all just modern iterations of Plato's Cave. But in this movie, I'm going to focus on, on the Truman Show. He starts to wake up, and then he starts to plan his escape. He starts to realize there's something off, that everybody's against him. And he starts to plan his escape. And he does so successfully, the cameras lose him. And now the entire cast start looking for him. And the director, they have cameras, they can manipulate the weather and all the rest. And they're looking, they're looking, they turn on the sun in the middle of the night, they turn on the sun so they can have light to look for him. And they can't find him. Finally, the director realizes that they are not looking in the water, in the sea. They, they, they're living on, the, on an island. I forget the name of the island. They're living on an island, and they, they're not looking for him in the, in the sea. Now, I'm going to push pause here. Here's why they're not looking in the sea. is because they know that he's deadly afraid of the water. His fear of going out into the sea is crippling. And as I thought about this, I realized that fear is the running thread throughout this movie. It's precisely by manipulating his fear that they're able to, for so long, to keep him in this, in this darkness. And here are just some examples. His, his office co-worker says, you're going to lose a lot more than your teeth if you don't meet your quota, Truman. They're making cutbacks in here this month. Or in the radio, and he's just driving on the street, and the radio comes up. And it's another beautiful day in paradise, folks. But don't forget to buckle up out there in radio land. Remember safety. A good driver is a safe driver. Or his wife comes back. His wife's a nurse. She comes back from work. Oh, I was in surgery. There was that, that elevator disaster downtown. It was on the news last night. This, this cable just snapped. This elevator just plummeted down 10 flights with non-union workers. Just monstrous. You know that building, it's right next door to where you work. Can you imagine if you had been in there? It's not even worth thinking about. Anyway, I have an amputation on one of the young women who was in there, in that elevator. She's very young, it's very sad. Anyway, um, wish me luck. All the people that interact with him on a regular basis, they're just constantly feeding him fear. And this is very intentional. His dad, in, in, a, in a flashback scene to his childhood, Truman, Truman, no, that's off limits. He's climbing up these rocks. That's off limits. And the young Truman, why? What's up there? Oh, nothing. It's dangerous, that's all. You've got to know your limitations, Truman. 
And then towards the, uh, towards the end now, so they, they find him in the, in the sea. You know, they turn the cameras to the sea. And sure enough, they find him there sailing. And uh, shortly before this, there is this conversation between Christoph, who is the director of the show. Okay, I'm at 16 minutes. I'll prom- I'll, I'm going to make the 20-minute cutoff. They get to the... They're having... The Christoph, the director, is having this conversation with Sylvia. And Christoph, you know, that's already, I think, a, a tell. Christoph, he's the director of this whole business. I have given, he says to her, I have given Truman a chance to live a normal life. The world, the place where you live in, that's the sick place. Sea Haven, that's the name of the town. Sea Haven is the way the world should be. See, all about ideal, the ideal place, the ideal world. So long as we're not tapping into that, we live in fear, we think. And Sylvia says, he's not a performer, he's a prisoner. Look at him, look at what you've done to him. And he responds, he can leave at any time. If he was more than just a vague ambition, if he was absolutely determined to discover the truth, there's no way we could prevent him from leaving. What distresses you, really, caller, is that ultimately Truman prefers his cell, as you call it. And then finally, you know, the things are, things are escalating, and he's wanting to leave, leave the town as quickly as possible. He goes to a travel agency to book a flight out of, out of the town. And literally, in, in the travel agency, there's a poster with an airplane with a lightning bolt striking through the airplane. And the poster says, it could happen to you. <laughs> so this is, this is the thread of the movie, all about fear. Okay, so now they see him, now they're spotting him on, this, on, his, sail, on his sailboat. And they start, he start, Christoph says, he'll turn back, he'll be too afraid. Increase the wind, increase the wind. Now they try to, they try to capsize him. Remember Jesus' words, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Christoph says, capsize him, tip him over, do it. Sure enough, boat gets capsized, then they stop the, the storm, the boat gets turned over again. And now we see the name of the boat. Does anybody remember? Did anybody catch it? Santa Maria. Santa Maria is the name of this boat. And then in the script, it says that Santa Maria runs into the wall, into the outer wall of the dome, runs out of space and crushes into the wall. So now the voice comes on, Christoph, you know, coming from the skies. Who are you? And Truman says, who are you? And he says, I'm the creator of a television show that gives hope and joy and inspirations to millions. And who am I? You're the star. Was nothing real? You were real. That's what made you so good to watch. Listen to me, Truman. There's, there's no more truth out there than there is in the world I created for you. Same lies, the same deceit. But in my world, you have nothing to fear. I know you better than you know yourself. See, this is the enemy. This is how he talks to us. He tries to make us to believe that the little bubble that we're in is the safest place for us, is the best place for us. You are afraid. That's why you can't leave, he says. It's okay, Truman. I understand. You can't leave, Truman. You belong here with me. And there's this long, pregnant pause. What's Truman going to do? Is he going to listen to the enemy? Or is he going to walk out of this dome in freedom? And he just says, 
In case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. And he walks up the steps and walks out. Leaves the Santa Maria boat, walks up the stairs and walks out. You see, brothers and sisters, fear is what keeps us from letting our sins, leaving our sins behind and going into a deeper relationship with God. We fear that we have to control our lives and we control it by sinning. That's how the enemy tricks us. And fearing in other people's and circumstances, and I don't, I'm not saying that we don't have our civic duties and protest the Dodgers and all the rest. I'm talking about an internal reality. What is going on within us? as we do these things, as we live our spiritual life. What is going on in California? Is that affecting our relationship with the Lord? What about in Washington, D.C.? What about in the Vatican? Is that fear driving us away from the Lord? Fear no one. Fear only your sins. And as we turn to the Eucharist here, this daily bread, you you know, we pray every day. Give us this day our daily bread. And the Lord provides in the church our daily bread so that we can be fed in him. And the more that we turn our fears to him, the more that he heals our hearts so that we can be free.